Section number one of Essays on Art. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Essays on Art by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Translated by Samuel Gray Ward. Section number one. Introduction to the Propylium. Part one. The youth, when he begins to feel the attraction of nature and art, believes that by an earnest effort he shall soon be able to pierce to the inmost sanctuary. The man finds, after long wandering up and down, that he is still upon the threshold. This consideration has been the occasion of our title. The step, the door, the entrance, the antechamber, the space between the inner and the outer, the sacred and the profane, is the place we choose as a common ground of intercourse with our friends. Neither will it be foreign to our object by this word properly him. The reader is reminded of the edifice that led to the citadel of Athens and the temple of Minerva. Only let no one attribute to us the presumption of attempting here a like work of art and magnificence. By the name of the place we would suggest to the reader's mind the things that were done there, and have him expect discussions and conversations that may perhaps not be unworthy of the scene. Will not thinkers, scholars, artists be drawn to pass their best hours in such a scene, to dwell in imagination at least? among a people who possess by nature that perfection that we wish for and never attain who in a continued sequence of time and life developed a culture in fair and constant succession that appears among us only transitorily and piecemeal what modern nation does not owe its artistic culture to the greeks and in various ways what nation more than the german thus much in explanation of our symbolic title if indeed it be necessary let it stand as a memento that we are to depart as little as possible from classic ground. Let its brevity and significance inform those friends of art whom we hope to interest in the present work that it is to contain the observations and reflections of a seeker of harmoniously united friends upon nature and art. He that is called to be an artist should constantly bear in mind that he is to give all his attention to objects and their parts, and at the same time that he makes a practical application of such observations, will by degree accustom himself to note more and more closely. In the beginning of his course, he will do his best to make everything tell for his own advantage. Afterwards, he will be glad to impart to others, and thus it is now our purpose to relate and lay before our readers many things that we have noted down under various circumstances in past years which we trust will be both useful and agreeable but who is there that will not agree that pure observations are more rare than is generally believed we are so ready to mix up our own imaginations opinions judgments with what comes under our notice that we do not long retain the quiet position of observers but begin to make reflections upon which we ought not to lay any weight except so far as we can rely upon the culture and natural disposition of our minds we shall be inspired with strong confidence in this matter by the consideration of the harmonious relation in which we stand towards others 
by the knowledge that we are thinking and working not alone but in common. The anxious doubt whether our way of thinking is not peculiar to ourselves, which so often comes over us when we hear others express convictions directly the reverse of ours, will be softened and by degrees disappear when we find ourselves in company with others. Then we shall begin to step with confidence and congratulate ourselves on the possession of principles verified by our own and others' long experience. When several persons live together in friendly intercourse, at the same time that they have a common interest to advance their culture and keep in view separate, closely united ends, they feel that they are coming in contact in the greatest possible variety of ways, and that even a direction that seems to lead to their separation will soon happily reunite them. Who has not felt what profit in such cases results from conversation? But conversation has no permanence, and though we do not lose any portion of the results of a mutual interchange of acquisition, the memory of the means by which they were arrived at disappears. The steps of such a common progress are better preserved by means of a correspondence by letter. Each moment of growth is thus fixed, and while our attainment gives us a feeling of satisfaction, we shall derive advantage from a backward look at the process of growth, which gives us reason to hope for ceaseless future progress. Brief notes, in which we set down from time to time our thoughts, convictions and wishes, in order to return and converse with ourselves after an interval of time, are also an excellent means of aiding our own culture and that of others, a means that no one should neglect when we consider the short space of time allotted to life and the many hindrances we meet with in the way of advancement. It will be seen that we are now speaking of an interchange of ideas among friends who have a common aim of artistic and scientific cultivation. At the same time, so great an advantage ought not to be neglected in a life of action in the world. But in matters of art and science, a limited connection of this sort is not sufficient. To stand in some relation to the public is equally agreeable and necessary. Whatever a man does or thinks of general concern belongs to the world, which in time brings to maturity whatever it can appropriate of the efforts of individuals. The desire of applause which the writer feels is an instinct that nature has implanted in him to drive him on to something higher. He thinks he has achieved the laurel, but soon perceives that a more laborious cultivation of all his faculties is necessary to hold fast the public favor, which through fortune and accident may be retained for a few short moments. End of section number one.